Our scripture reading for today comes from two passages in the book of Genesis. Listen now to the word of the Lord. The first passage from Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 to 22. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark, and finish it to a cubit above, and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing on the ground, according to its kind, two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten, and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. The second passage from Genesis chapter 9, verses 8 to 17. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you, and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is a sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you 
for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth, and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is a sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. The word of the Lord. The Lord be with you. Thank you. Uh, before I begin, I do want to make uh, one announcement. Uh, as you are aware, uh, the COVID situation continues to evolve, and we are in constant conversation about how best to navigate uh, through this pandemic. Um, you should also be aware that our church has a living protocol document developed by committee. Uh, that we follow in deciding when uh, we are able to meet indoors or whether we need to meet outdoors for worship. The document currently states that in addition to the latest CDC guidelines, we will follow the New Jersey Cali scores in the three regions where most, if not all, the members of our church reside to determine whether or not we can hold the indoor services. And so currently the document states that all three regions must be categorized as moderate or lower for us to hold indoor services. However, uh, in light of the fact that the vast majority of our congregation is now vaccinated, uh, the session revisited the protocol and voted to modify it so that rather than having all three regions be moderate or lower, as long as two of the three regions are moderate or lower, uh, we will hold indoor services. Uh, with this change, it means that we will be able to schedule an indoor service next Sunday. The Cali scores come out on Thursdays, so it is possible that we need to uh, change that. But as it stands now, uh, we will move indoors for service uh, next week. If there is a change, uh, we will alert you through email on Saturday, as we have been doing. Uh, additionally, given the number of people who are attending our services, we will continue to use both the chapel and the fellowship hall to increase the physical distancing while indoors. And we are going to require everyone to wear masks while indoors, regardless of vaccination status. And again, we just want to uh, err on the side of caution and extending our care for one another. And I would ask uh, parents, especially with younger children, that you be mindful and help them to wear their masks properly. Uh, we're going to continue as well to evolve, uh, watch the evolving situation and make adjustments as necessary. But I hope we can continue to uh, stay safe and to be able to hold uh, in-person and indoor services. Those of you who are still uncomfortable attending, uh, whether outdoors or indoors, and uh, want to worship through Zoom uh, at home, uh, I do want to reassure you that we will hold uh, Zoom services and to offer the Zoom option for the near foreseeable future.
Uh, if you have any questions regarding this or any compliments that you want to share with us, uh, please see me or uh, any member of session uh, anytime today. Uh, now please pray with me. And God, we again just thank you for our time together that we are able to gather, uh, whether virtually or here, uh, outdoors together. And we're thankful that we can worship. And so we ask now uh, in the hearing of your word, you would speak to us and in the hearing help us to be encouraged and to be strengthened, to be challenged and to obey your word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So today uh, we're going to start a new sermon series. From now until the end of May, we'll be following something known as the Narrative Lectionary. Those of you who were here about a decade ago, you may recall that we spent three years with the Revised Common Lectionary. The Revised Common Lectionary is a selection of biblical texts, four passages every Sunday, two from the Old Testament and two from the New Testament. It's designed so that if you were to read all four passages every Sunday, you would get a pretty good overall sense of the whole story of the scriptures. Unfortunately, we did not read all four passages. And no one wants to hear four sermons every Sunday, right? And so even though the Revised Common Lectionary covers the whole Bible, because typically only one passage is read, we only end up with a part of the story. The advantage of the narrative lectionary is that there is only one selected passage each week, and over the course of the year, we'll go from Genesis to Revelation, and we'll get to hear the whole story. Again, it's going to be selective, so you're not gonna get everything, but at least we'll get some sense of the overarching story of the redemptive work of God in Jesus Christ from Genesis to Revelation. The narrative lectionary was developed by a couple of people, uh, professors in St. Paul, Minnesota, uh, based on an introductory course on the Bible that they taught both at seminary and in their churches. And so as I've been thinking about this, I thought this is a good overview, and I think it's something that would be of benefit to our congregation. We, in general, along with the rest of the churches in America, have become less familiar with the Bible and with the whole story of the Bible for a number of reasons. And I've noticed, for example, in the confirmation class, students are not as familiar with the whole story of the Bible as I thought that they might be. In part, I'm to blame for that because I know that my preaching choices have favored certain passages over others and that I have unnecessarily and inadvertently neglected certain passages. So, we're gonna follow the narrative lectionary this year from now until May to tell the whole story uh, until May and hopefully it'll give us a, a good picture of the entire story. The narrative lectionary is actually a four-year cycle because each of the years will cover one of the four Gospels. And so this year we're going to cover the Gospel of Matthew when we get to the story in the New Testament. And in our FGs, those of you who are a part of the FG, the materials for the FG this year will be year four of the narrative lectionary. And so you'll cover again this, the same overarching story, uh, but when we get to the story of the New Testament and the story of the gospel, you'll cover the gospel of John. 
And so we'll do this for this year, and then we'll reassess whether we want to do uh, additional years in the spring. All right. So today, uh, we begin the narrative lectionary, not with Genesis 1, as you might expect, with the creation story, but with another very familiar story of Noah, the flood, and the rainbow. It's actually a very long story. It covers five chapters, or 10% of the book of Genesis. We don't have time to cover the entire story, and you just heard two pieces, two small pieces of that story. And so between those two readings, we had to skip quite a lot of material. We had to skip the hundred years that it took to build the ark, the loading of all the animals two by two and seven by seven, the actual flood itself, the months of waiting on board for the waters to subside, the sending out of a raven and a dove, and the ark finally coming to rest on the mountains of Ararat. Now, as the recent leftover waters from Hurricane Ida have reminded us, a flood or flooding can be devastating. It's been quite shocking to me to learn that we've had a similar number of deaths in New Jersey and New York as a result of the flood waters as they had in Louisiana where the hurricane actually made landfall. While it may be hard for us to imagine the kind of global and prolonged flood that Noah and all those on board the ark experienced, we all know the potential dangers of even a limited flood. So it is a little odd, isn't it, that the story of Noah's ark is so popular, especially with children and Sunday schools. One of my kids even wrote her, or his, senior thesis entitled, a flood to destroy all flesh. How Noah's Ark becomes children's literature. A flood to destroy all flesh is not the kind of title that parents are going to line up to buy at the bookstore on, you know, for their kids. Now my kids didn't grow up with a lot of Bible related toys, but they had a wooden Noah's Ark with the various pairs of animals. I imagine that many of you with children and with young children have some sort of Noah's Ark themed toys or books or pajamas or artwork in your children's bedrooms. It's probably an ark with overstuffed animals sticking out, sitting atop calm waters with a rainbow painted in soft pastel colors in the background. We kind of ignore the, the devastation of the flood, a flood to destroy all flesh. And instead, we encourage our children to play with a fun floating ark, a zoo full of animals. Now, I'm not sure how many of you learned or sang the song Rise and Shine, but as a kid, I can remember singing this song and I still remember some of the words because it was so catchy, even though I don't think I've sang it in several decades. The first verse of the song goes like this. The Lord told Noah, there's going to be a floody, floody. The Lord told Noah, there's going to be a floody, floody. Get those children out of the, anyone? Muddy, muddy, children of the Lord. Only Jason knows. Subsequent verses have similar lyrics and rhymes. 
the Lord told Noah to build him an arky arky build it out of gopher barky barky children of the Lord the animals they came they came in by twosies twosies elephants and kangaroosies roosies it rained for 40 daisies daisies nearly drove those animals crazy crazies and on and on and I actually discovered this week that there is one additional verse that I don't ever recall singing it made me wonder if my Sunday school teachers left it out intentionally to try to protect me from what might be considered suspect biblical interpretation the animals they came off by threesies threesies grizzly bears and chimpanzees zizies given that there are only pairs of animals it's hard to imagine them coming off by threes unless of course they're trying to suggest that babies were born on board in which case yes I suppose it makes sense they came off by threesies in any case we teach our children about Noah and the ark emphasizing God's rescue of all of God's creation we kind of ignore the death of all other living things which were not on the ark including Noah's extended family perhaps that's the only way to teach the story to young children perhaps it's not a bad idea to downplay the destruction and highlight God's saving grace for all of creation but contrary to this sort of popularity this is not just a story for children it has more than a few things to teach us us older folks and I want to reflect on that with you this morning the story of Noah and the flood is foremost a story of rescue but it is also a story about judgment and that judgment is specifically on human corruption and violence chapter 6 verse 5 the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually I don't know how you might have imagined the wickedness and evil of humanity but I was quite struck this week by the fact that it is described primarily as corruption and violence verse 11 now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence verse 12 and the and God saw the earth and behold it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth verse 13 and God said to Noah I have determined to make an end of all flesh for the earth is filled with violence through them and behold I will destroy them with the earth and Noah is very well aware of this corruption and violence in his own family history in Genesis 4 from the very beginning of creation there is the violent murder of Abel by his brother Cain and then a few generations later we get to Noah's father Lamech you might not recall who he is but he was the first to take two wives and more importantly this is what he said to his wives Ada and Zillah hear my voice you wives of Lamech listen to what I say I have killed a man for wounding me a young man for striking me if Kevin's if Cain's revenge is sevenfold then Lamech's is 77 fold 
It's not entirely clear how we ought to interpret these words, but to me, it reads like he's boasting to his wives. Lamech took vengeance in his own hands and killed someone, a young man, who had merely wounded him. In other words, Noah grew up with violence and knew firsthand the corruption and the violence that characterized all of humanity. The scholar Terry Fratheim notes that the word for corruption used to describe human beings, it's the same word that is used to describe what the flood will do to the earth. It suggests that the ensuing destruction caused by the flood is a result of the destruction and violence committed first by human beings. As many people have noted, we are not necessarily punished for our sins, but more often by our sins. We usually reap what we sow. Human corruption and violence gives birth to the destruction and violence that ensues with the flood. God must judge our violence, otherwise God would not be God. God would not be just. But here's what's really amazing about what is revealed to us about God in this story. Verse 6, And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Right? I mean, that's one of those verses that should just, it just pops out, right? The Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. The ancient philosopher Aristotle theorized that since every motion in the universe is caused by the motion of another, he supposed that there must be a first cause, the so-called unmoved mover, which starts everything in motion. That's sort of a theoretical, philosophical notion of God as some sort of cosmic force that kind of sets everything in motion is not what the scriptures teach us about God. Just the opposite. The rabbi Abraham Heschel said that God is the most moved mover. God is the most moved mover. God is one who regrets, one who grieves, one who weeps with us in our sorrow. God is moved to rescue, to redeem, to restore in response to our rebellion. God is not one who is apathetic to sin or to injustice, nor one who will merely sweep away all of his creation and start over. Rather, God is grieved and acts to rectify, to right, to rescue all of creation from our brokenness. I know that sometimes this, this is not an easy thing to reconcile in our heads because at the same time we speak of a God who is omnipotent, who is omniscient, all-powerful, all-knowing. But the scriptures teach that God is love and that love incredibly compels God to freely place self-limitations on himself. God is absolutely free, but because God is love, God will not and cannot act unlovingly, nor can God act unjustly. So on the one hand, God must punish. God must respond to human corruption and violence which he does with the flood. But at the same time, God does not start over. He does not destroy all life. He provides a way to save life through the obedience of one man 
and his family. He invites human participation in his rescue plan. Not just human life, but through human beings, all of creation. Just as the Spirit of God had hovered over the waters of the original creation, so now God remembers in the flood Noah and sends his spirit or his wind to dry up the waters and to breathe new life into the earth. Then once that rescue is complete, God makes a covenant to never again deal with human wickedness and sin in this manner. In fact, the, very, the, the last verse you heard is quite incredible. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. The rainbow is a sign of the covenant God makes, not just with us, not just with human beings, but with all of creation. I mentioned that last Sunday that all of nature belongs to God, that all of nature exists to praise God. And here we see again God's care for all of his creation, not just human beings. And the sign of that promise, the sign of that care, is the rainbow. The rainbow, as you may know, has many different meanings in many different cultures. According to Norse mythology, or as popularized by Thor in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the Bifrost is a rainbow bridge that connects the realms of Asgard and Earth and other places. The ancient Greeks personified the rainbow as the messenger goddess Iris, as a link between heaven and Earth. As a kid, I remember mistakenly learning, thanks to Lucky Charm cereal, that there is a pot of gold at the other end of the rainbow. But the biblical rainbow is the bow of an archer. In this sign, God is hanging up his bow as if to disarm himself. He's not going to use it anymore. He, he just kind of hangs it up over the fireplace. God says that when he sees that just hanging there without an arrow, he will remember. This is not to suggest that God can somehow forget necessarily, but a reminder to us that God will remember us. The bow is hung in the sky, and the physics of which I cannot explain, the bow is shaped like this, so that if you were to place an arrow in it, the arrow would shoot up, not down. It is pointed away from us and toward the sky, so it poses no threat. So in this covenant, God commits himself to us and to all of creation to provide another way to deal with our corruption and violence. Instead of the destructive waters of the flood, God will keep this promise of the bow by ultimately choosing to deliver us by the way of the cross. And God makes this promise not because humanity is going to improve, not because now we've learned our lesson from the flood. God reiterates that the inclination of the human heart is evil after the flood, just as he had observed before the flood. People will continue to corrupt themselves and to act in violent, unspeakably violent ways. But God will keep his promise to us in all of our brokenness. And you notice that the covenant that God makes with us and the rest of creation is entirely one-sided. 
God takes on all of the responsibilities. Regardless of how we respond back, God promises to keep his end of the deal. He will tell us people much later through the prophet Isaiah, for example, this is like the days of Noah to me, as I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you and my covenant of peace shall not be removed. No matter what, my covenant of peace shall not be removed. And God makes that promise to us, to us, and to all of creation. That is our hope. That is a promise that God makes with us. Let's pray together. Lord, we understand that waters can bring destruction, but we are reminded that the waters are also a source of life. That in the waters of baptism, you again make the promise to us that regardless of how we respond, your promises to us will never change. So God, we thank you. Help us to let our children play with Noah's Ark and draw rainbows and have the confidence that you will deliver all of creation, that you will keep all of your promises, and that just as you saved Noah, you also will save us through the cross of our Lord in Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.